Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Tom Fox. For the next series of episodes, Ronnie Feldman and I do things a little bit differently. I pose a question to Ronnie, and he gives us a hot take, and we explore from there. These episodes are a little bit shorter, but they're a lot of fun. I know you'll enjoy them. In today's episode, Ronnie turns the tables and asks me a question about training. Where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection. They all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get started, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with Creativity in Compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Creativity in Compliance. I am Ronnie Feldman. I am leading us off today with us today is, of course, Tom Fox. Say hello, Tom. Hello, Tom. Yes, yes, the bit that never gets old. Okay, so I wanted to start us off this time because I have a question for you. You're usually asking questions of me, but I have a question for you. And this is a legitimate question. It's a leading question, but I really want to know the answer to this. Does the Ethics Compliance Department really have to do training? Is that something that we have to do? We know that everybody's doing it, but do we have to do it? So actually, there are some state laws, such as the California Anti-Harassment Law, which specifically mandate training. So there's a few that say yes. In the FCPA context, though, Ronnie, there's nothing in the FCPA that says ye shall do training. Where we find it is the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines from 1992 and in the original formulation of the 10 Hallmarks of an Effective Compliance Program, now just called Hallmarks of an Effective Compliance Program. It's possible if you don't do training and you had a legitimate business reason for not doing training, you could skate on doing training, but I've never seen that articulated in any enforcement actions. The best practice in compliance is to do some type of training. But what's interesting, Ronnie, is the DOJ's own evolution in thinking. Ten years ago, they told us to do one hour, either live, in-person, 300-powerpoint slide, deck training with a 10-question examination thereafter. But in 2020, in the update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, they realized that, or in the first time, rather, they said, your training needs to be based on the risk of your employees. So if you're a compliance officer, internal auditor, payroll clerk, or other gatekeeper, you may need more focused training. And two, to give shorter, not snippets, but shorter training five minutes, 10 minutes, as opposed to an hour. One, you keep people's attention. Two, you focus them on one topic. And three, hopefully if they've hired you, it's a little bit entertaining. I Obviously, thank you for that. I think it's how much I rail on how much I think 
that the way we mostly do ethics compliance training is counterproductive. And it's interesting to focus on what the DOJ is saying, because I know in their updates, they talked about the importance of communication and awareness and focused, targeted training. And what I think is interesting is they probably don't define what training means. So they might be saying training, but there's a lot of people who use the term burst learning and micro learning and you know, what constitutes training. I feel like it's worth talking about because the way we've historically done it, we know inherently in our bones doesn't work because the historical way we do training, that e-learning is infrequent, it's long, it seeds the idea that it's not important because people feel like it's a check-the-box activity that you're just pushing liability on them. It measures all the things that really don't matter, meaning like it's measuring that you passed a test, but it's not really tracking whether you're how you feel about organizational justice. It's not really tracking about how you feel about the organization. It's not really tracking whether that knowledge is retained over time. We know that environment has a much bigger impact on behavior than knowledge anyway. So even if they know it in that moment, but they think, okay, I know what the FCAPA is and I know I shouldn't bribe, yet I feel like I'm owed something or I'm under a lot of pressure. We know that has a bigger impact on it. So I come back to the idea of do we really need to be doing this? Shouldn't we be spending our time and resources in other ways? I have some thoughts about things we should be doing, but let's. can you elaborate a little bit on is there more leeway in what an organization can do in terms of training and communication if they think it's a more effective way to influence and mitigate risk? Yes, I think the Department of Justice certainly recognizes that. The key, I think, is that it be thoughtful and you have a plan. So if someone is going to travel overseas to a high-risk corruption jurisdiction, why not send them a 30-60, two-minute video, 30-60 second, two-minute short clip on, hey, how do you resist paying a bribe at customs? What do you do if you get shaken down at customs? That type of reminder can be a very powerful tool and if you can show, we sent it to these people because their travel schedule popped up, that they're going to, you name the corrupt part of the world, we've given them targeted training. But the types of things that seem to be effective are those that really grab people's attention, whether it's a gamification type of training, whether it's a roundtable, whether it's a game show, a lot of the different things I've heard you talk about, Ronnie. Back when I was doing more training, I really tried to split the difference. I had my one-hour PowerPoint presentation, but at the start and at the end, I said the following. Here's the only thing I want you to remember of this. If you only take one thing away, raise your hand, and here's how you raise your hand. Here's yep. the number you call. Yep. And so I tried to make it short and sweet and get people to understand there was a resource for them if they had a question or a problem. So... Maybe that was splitting the difference. Maybe it was splitting the baby. But I think there's room to do lots of different things, whether it's an issue like promoting your speak up through raising your hand, whether it's saying, I'm here to answer your questions, or whether it's leadership saying, we're not going to pay bribes. And that's it. End of story. We're not going to pay bribes. And when you can get the manager or the CEO or the business unit president to come in and say, I'm not going to tolerate paying bribes, that can be the best training you can possibly have. So it's a really a combination of lots of different things. I think that this is what I'm pulling away from this is that there's 
I think we as a community can be a lot more thoughtful, it's a great term, about what we consider training and mixing it up and trying different things. Like the whole idea of having leaders talk about the importance of the issues could be considered a training and quite frankly more valuable than an e-learning because if you have leader you have the main lessons coming out of the mouth of leaders saying it's important telling interesting stories telling you that it's okay constantly reminding people that this is important i think that's one of the most valuable things that organizations can do and it's hard of course to get leaders to do that so there's maybe a first level of work of getting buy-in from leadership and a second level of getting them to sit down and do these things. Well, I've produced uh, show, shows, fake shows for companies where we get leaders to talk about things, but we make it fun. And that's one of the ways we get them to do it. So I love that idea. The whole idea of just-in-time training is what I'm calling the thing where you say they're going to another country and then they, you send them something. I love that idea because it's short, quick reminders, tools, and resources that are available in the time of need like removing the barrier from accessing information, making that easy. One of Malcolm Gladwell's tenets of when they talked about why behavior is not only having the right messaging, but making it easy to access that information is a great way to change behavior. If you have the right message and it's hard to access or vice versa, then people don't behave differently. So I love that idea. And of course, I think one of the most effective things that you can do is promote speak up culture, promote that support system. And that to me is something that you can do all the time. In terms of measurement, I talk with my clients about having simple lessons and tools, make it easy to access and then constantly drive attention to that. So that's like pushing out a 30 to 60 second video and measuring click-through rates, like how many times, how many more times do people access the policy than they did before? Things like that, you can measure click-through late rates, you certainly can measure how many times things have been watched and viewed, you certainly can measure helpline calls and things along those lines. You certainly could do more surveys that measure how people feel about organizational justice, how do people feel psychologically safe. There's all sorts of things we can do in, other than Hey, the dog agrees. I don't know if you could hear it. That, there was a dog barking in the background. If you could hear that, that's what I was referring to. And last but not least, just the idea of broadening what training means. Oh, I was going to say, if you have to do e-learning, if you feel like you have to do e-learning, I borrowed this from Ricardo, who, who founded Broadcat. He said, if you're feeling the need to do that, get it done as simply and as quickly as possible. So you can check that box and say, yes, everybody's been trained, and then spend your money on these other things that have a greater impact on the culture. And I guess I'll add my part of it by saying, I love how you said be thoughtful about it. I think the main thing is to do things that we think will work and then measure those things so you can show the thoughtful ways that you're thinking about it, regardless of whether you're doing that quote-unquote e-learning. What do you think? Why don't you put a button on that? You've absolutely hit it on the head and that that is the direction we need to move going forward. Unfortunately, Ronnie, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us again. Thanks again and looking forward to continuing this conversation. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.